we now go into 1969, which uh, for a year towards the end of the Beatles' career was one of the most monumental. And I guess we should begin our discussion by talking about the Yellow Submarine album. I guess that's a good uh, good place to start. Do you agree? Yeah, we'll talk about... Yeah, I think that's a good place to start. We'll talk about that being released... Because that was the tail end of 68. album was released in 69. Then we right. can talk about the sessions that were happening around the same time. Right. So the Beatles were under contract with United Artists to release a third movie. They already had A Hard Day's Night and Help That were released through United Artists. And they really did not want to make a movie in the traditional sense like they had with their first two films, not including Magical Mystery Tour, which was a separate made-for-TV type thing. But um, they decided to have... A, a cartoon yellow submarine of course is a cartoon film the Beatles themselves did make an appearance towards the very end of the film i did not really watch this movie growing up i know for many kids it's something that was viewed regularly i did not that was not the case for me uh, i wasn't really familiar with it until i became a Beatles fan it kind of takes a step back in the Beatles career to this psychedelic type of imagery, lots of colors. I remember sitting down with my friend Ben in college because he wanted to watch Yellow Submarine. I think Ben was known to occasionally occasionally partake in some extra substances and he told me he felt he should be on that when watching that movie. That's kind of a it's one of the that's one of the main college memories I have which says a lot about my college years. But um, anyhow, uh, it, it's a good movie. I I happen to like it. I find it to be a lot of fun. I like it's kind of like a real artistic piece. Uh, it's weird because the Beatles' actual voices were not used throughout the bulk of the movie. The four animated Beatles were voiced by other actors, which is kind of strange. But it does feature some wonderful songs. You know, they uh, and those songs are all on the sa- soundtrack that came out in 1969. The Beatles songs that appeared on there, two of them were older songs. You had the title track "Yellow Submarine," which first came out in 1966. And then you had All You Need Is Love, which had been released in 67. Uh, the second track on the album, Only a Northern Song, right? That's track two. Am I right about that? Or is it? I believe that's yeah, it's either track two or three. Yeah. I mean, that was first written prior to that, but it was released now for the first time. Yeah. And then you have All Together Now, which is a fun little kids type song. Hey, Bulldog, which mm-hmm. I love. That is actually, I mean, I, I really love that song. I love the guitar riff on that song. It's all too much. It's all too... Oh, how can I forget that song? I love that track. A real psychedelic track featuring an amazing George vocal. An, an epic song. Totally epic. And then I, the rest it, of... The, I think ahead. it's been called the best um, the best song recorded during the Beatles' psychedelic period by some I totally some see music that. Critics. I, mm-hmm. You can't argue with that. It really is an epic type of track. And then the rest of the album, the soundtrack album, were orchestral pieces uh, written and conducted by George Martin, which are very beautiful. Uh, there's a track Pepperland on there, which is the first Martin orchestral track to appear on the album. And I listen to that all the time. I find it to be very cinematic, very beautiful, very lush. Uh, just I think it fits in great with that period. Uh, so Yellow Submarine, it's not looked at in the same way as the White Album or Revolver or Abbey Road or anything like that. And it shouldn't be. It's not doesn't have as many Beatles songs on there. But it, it, for what it is, I enjoy it. It's a nice little thing to put on if you want some quick Beatles in your day. Yeah, I mean, um, the new uh, new tracks are great. I love I love Hey Bulldog. Yeah. Hey Bulldog is a, is one of my um, one of my favorite Beatles songs. I think your dog um, likes it too by the barking in the background. That's, yeah, she, yeah, they do. <laughs> they're they're so they know we're talking about this. They're getting totally, into it totally. Um, but yeah, Hey Bulldog is one of my favorites. Um, it's all too much. Is a great great George track. Really incredible. Uh, all together now is a fun little sing-along track. It's, it's some good stuff. It's it's good material. Um, Dan, good can I? For, good, good. I was say it's a good way for them to get some of those songs out that were kind of sitting on the shelf through uh, 67, 68. Dan, can I for a moment take this Beatles discussion in what for our listeners will be a totally unexpected direction, but it's related to this, okay? So follow me here. Do you remember the great horror film from the 1990s, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Mm-hmm. Sarah Michelle Gellar, Freddie Prince Jr. Was Jennifer Love Hewitt in there, I think? Yes, she was. Okay. So you may ask, well, what does this have to do with the Beatles? Well, here's what it has to do with the Beatles. On the soundtrack album for I Know What You Did Last Summer, there is what for me is maybe my favorite cover of a Beatles song, and that is Toad the Wet Sprocket doing Hey Bulldog. 
Oh, okay. And it is a it's a very faithful cover. They're not trying to be too they're not trying to make it their own as they say on American Idol, but it uh it has a little bit more of a 90s grunge type sound to it and I love it. I will uh encourage all of our listeners to go find that on their streaming services and I bet it's on YouTube somewhere. It's a great Beatles cover mm-hmm. of a phenomenal song, Hey Bulldog. <laughs> I really yeah. love that track. But uh getting back to the 1960s now, Yellow Submarine is out. Like I said, we I enjoy it, Dan. I know you enjoy it too. And then we get into what is one of the most significant periods in Beatles history, one of the most written about periods, and a period that for me, as much as a Beatles fan as I am, I sometimes get confused by on the timeline perspective, trying to think, okay, when did this happen? How does this fit into the story? Um, Dan, take it from here as you uh, as we get into this. So. Well, I, I was going to say it's funny that you say that too because I've, I've always had the timeline a little distorted for myself as well. Um, yes. And I think it's because of the way it was released. It's kind of difficult to, I guess, piece it together right in a way um if you're following chronologically from release order um because we didn't see let it be till 1970 so i think you kind of we kind of tend to think all of the events that happened surrounding that happened post abbey road right but a lot of it was happening pre let it be and then afterwards leading into abbey road right um so the the white album was such a tense affair for um for the group, um, Ringo quit um, during the recording of the Riot album during the sessions. Yes, left the band for a little while. Went off to uh, Sardinia uh, with his family on vacation. Learned an interesting fact about octopuses that will come back later. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if he used auto slash on his trip. He, may, I don't know. He might have. He might have. <laughs> you know, the Beatles were kind of in this state of. Feeling, I think, feeling the pull apart, and and uh, Paul, who I think was most afraid of the uh, that that pulling apart, um, was the person who I think came up with the idea of let's go back into the studio and let's get back to basics and let's let's film us rehearsing for a new album, and the new album is going to be recorded live. We're going to play live again, record it live. Right. Um, no overdubs. No studio trickery, just uh, just the Beatles as nature intended. Though there's a lot of, I think, revisionist history, especially from John's standpoint as to everyone's reaction to this. Initially, it was agreed upon. Um, I think that uh, Paul definitely was looking at playing live again. As much as John wants to or wanted to afterwards kind of say that, you know, he wasn't interested in playing live and Paul wanted to play live. Um, John had the itch too, because John played live with um, a super group called the Dirty Mac for the Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus. Right. Um, it was his first live performance since 1966. Great performance, I think. I love that Dirty Mac performance. I do too. Um, and for those that don't know, is a super group with um, uh, John on rhythm guitar and, uh, and vocals, Eric Clapton on lead guitar, Keith Richards on bass and Mitch Mitchell from the Jimi Hendrix experience on drums. And, uh, they performed, um, your blues and they performed a Yoko led track that we won't talk about. John was getting that itch to perform live again. And, and it kind of was met with, um, with some enthusiasm. Let's get back together and let's kind of play and rehearse this album. And then we'll record it live and, and it'll be um, a big deal. Uh, at the same time, they decided to, record uh film the sessions for a documentary that was going to come out uh, later once they got into uh twickenham film studio to start to rehearse and um and film that enthusiasm quickly uh dissipated and and uh this the there was a lot of um drama and um issues during the um the sessions but also from what we found out recently, there's apparently with the new Peter Jackson film coming out, there was a lot of harmony and, and, and camaraderie and solid music making too that we're going to get to see for the first time because <laughs> it's always been painted for us as this dreary, dismal right. um, um, affair. You know, as George says in, on the anthology, he had just come from spending the summer hanging out with uh, uh, Bob Dylan and the band in Woodstock and now he had to be back in the 
in the in the winter of discontent with the Beatles. Right. Um, so it's had this kind of dreary um, reputation, but apparently there was some uh, some camaraderie and strong. Um, you, the friendship was still there, and I think you can hear that in some of the tracks, especially the live rooftop tracks. I think you hear yes. it in Big a Pony. You can hear it in um, in uh, One After Nine O Nine. Yes, I've got a feeling, and uh, Don't Let Me Down. Those rooftop tracks. I think you hear for a band that was quote unquote breaking up at the time, for a band that hadn't played live in almost three years, they are incredibly tight as a live as a live band. Right, and it sounds like they're having fun. Yes, and John and Paul singing together. That those even on two of us. Um, those incredible harmonies, it's still there and they're still working together. Um, and not many bands who are in this state of upheaval and on the brink of breaking up have that. You can listen to an album, uh, an example, Pink Floyd. You listen to The Wall and you could totally hear that's a band that's not not getting along. That's a band that's probably on their last legs. You don't hear that with Let It Be and Abbey Road. Right. Um, you know, you, you can still hear that cohesiveness yeah, they, you know, there are a, a few things I want to say about these sessions. One of the things that I love about the Let It Be sessions is the fact that the band went back to their musical roots and you hear them jamming on a lot of 1950s tracks, uh, which I think is really cool. I've always enjoyed seeing the Beatles play and talk about their love of early rock and roll, and that's very evident in these sessions, which I think is great. What you said, Dan, just a moment ago, I completely agree with. There is, despite the tensions that existed during this time, joy that comes through on the music. Like you said, the harmonies on Two of Us, I think, are a clear example of that. The rooftop concert that concludes the Let It Be movie, you listen to them play. They are tight. They are hitting their mark. They are getting everything right. You listen to the way the band sounds on a track like Don't Let Me Down, for example. They're grooving. They're playing well. Paul and John are laughing with each other. Uh, it's really, I think, a, a very joyous thing to see. It's the song I've yeah. got a feeling. That tune, that 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 track. Oh that yeah. Song, yeah, yeah. For me, uh, it blows me away. It's this great rock and roll song that I'm quite honestly surprised you don't hear more on classic radio. You know, if you listen to satellite radio, you'll hear it on the Beatles channel and on a few other stations, but you listen to the local terrestrial stations they don't play that song as much and it features a great interplay between paul and john it just comes together so well and it's a real heavy song when we talk about the breakup of the band and the factors that led to it i think we'll we'll get into yoko's presence in the studio which was very much there during let it be although linda mccartney also spent a lot of time in the studio as well but i think uh, when we get to the end of this episode we'll cover more what we think may have led to the breakup of the Beatles. The Let It Be tapes were given to Phil Spector to work on, and he definitely added, particularly on two tracks, Across the Universe, which had been floating around in the Beatles catalog since 1967, and the legendary song The Long and Winding Road. He added orchestral sounds, choir voices, and I happen to like it. I love the way those tracks sound. But for Paul, especially with The Long and Winding Road, he hates it. Uh, I think we should also just say that the song Let It Be, it's not at Hey Jude level in terms of stature, but I think it's pretty close. I think that song, it's become an anthem for peace. It's timeless. The lyrics work as well today as they did when it first came out. Uh, many people may think that when Paul sings about Mother Mary, He's making a religious reference, but that's actually not the case. He's singing about his own mother, Mary, who passed away when he was a teenager, who came to him in a dream. And um, I've often listened to the song, and I'm not embarrassed to say tears will come to my eyes. And I think it's because of what Paul's singing about. And there's something kind of epic about the track that grabs you in. And then on the album version, the the, the Phil Spector-produced uh, album version, I believe they have an orchestra on that track as well. And I think that adds to the grandiose nature of the song. Uh, yeah. So uh, those are just a few of my Let It Be thoughts. I really, I like it. Uh, the couple tracks I'm not crazy about, I don't like Dig a Pony and, uh, as much as other people. It's never really grabbed me. Maggie May is fun. It's kind of a throwaway, but Maggie May is fun. Dig It is strange. Doesn't really do much, although I'm hesitant to quite frankly call it a song. Hmm. Uh, but everything else on there from I Me Mine 
to uh, two of us. As I mentioned, I've got a feeling for you, Blue. Get back. They're great. And a lot of people look at the Let It Be as the Beatles' worst album, but for all those songs, I yeah, I don't I don't see it as a as a their worst album. I I'm particularly fond of it. I like yeah. Let It Be. It, it's amazing that it got released. It was yes. it was a long uh, a long issue uh, a long haul trying to get it get it to its final product. George Martin, for all intents and purposes, was incredibly alienated from the sessions. George Martin, after having uh, put so much care and craft into tracks like Fool on the Hill and I Am the Walrus and uh, Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields and the entirety of the Pepper album. That was uh, something that kind of cut him. And so he left initially production duties to Glenn Johns. Right. Um, and Glenn Johns tried to make several mixes of what at first was being called the get back sessions then became let it be right um that would be satisfactory to the band with no success and it was pretty much let's take this stuff and put it on the shelf and um not deal with it for as long as we can and it wasn't until united artists started getting on them about you know we need something to come out in conjunction with the release of this movie that they gave it to uh, john gave it to phil Spector. i believe it was john who gave it to phil Spector. yes yes um and said, can you do something with it? And, you know, to Phil Spector's credit, the long and winding road, what he had to work with, he had what was basically a rough Beatles demo with a really good McCartney vocal. Right. And, um, you know, John is playing um, six string bass on it. And if you ever get the opportunity, you can do it on YouTube to listen to John's isolated bass on the long and winding road. Right. It is absolutely atrocious it borderlines on musical musical sabotage wow. there's it's probably the messiest baseline ever recorded on a um on a major released album and song there's been a lot of uh, you know critique out there well he could have just you know paul was right there in london he could have reached out to paul paul could have overdubbed a bass part um but they knew that if paul knew that they were working on the tracks he would either come in and stop it or take over and you know at least for his songs make sure that they were modeled the way he wanted them to be which would take up time and grind down the sessions and so they proceeded with what phil specter was doing right um so i don't uh villainize uh, phil specter for what he did on the album i think he did the best he could and i think he did a good job honestly myself i yeah. I, I mean the long and winding road instrumentation a little bit a little bit schmaltzy yes um, but I think it works. So now we're going into, we're going to conclude eventually by talking about the breakup of the band and a little bit of a Beatles legacy discussion. Then we'll do the solo episodes into the future. Yeah, but for that, now, that'll be fun. Yeah. I, I love the solo work, but yeah. uh, for now we're going to turn to Abbey road, which, uh, given that this is 2019, we'll be celebrating its 50th anniversary later on this year. August, There's, right? August or September? Uh, September? Not sure. I believe it's September. Yes, that does ring a bell. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, while nothing's been confirmed yet, it appears we're going to be getting another epic re-release in terms of albums and outtakes, which would be great. Uh, Abbey Road is, to the general public, including those that aren't necessarily Beatles fans, certainly the cover image of Abbey Road, where the members of the group are walking across the street outside Abbey Road Studios, it's one of the most iconic images of the group, and you see that on plenty of T-shirts and posters uh, everywhere from concerts to college dorms to posters. It's, you see it everywhere. It's almost been, it, it has been parodied on The Simpsons and other yeah. places. Uh, we're not going to get into the Paul is Dead rumors now, but Paul, of course, famously was barefoot on the cover of that album. Uh, Abbey Road really is, even though... Let It Be came out last and was released to the public after Abbey Road. In my mind, Abbey Road is the culmination to the Beatles' career. Uh, And it is a very interesting album to listen to, even now after having heard it so many times, because of the fact that the first several tracks on the album are individual songs, some of which are legendary classics at this point. Uh, songs like Come Together, Something, Here Comes the Sun, all those are part of this first batch of individual songs. And then you have other songs like Octopus's Garden, 
Oh Darlin, Maxwell Silver Hammer, and I Want You She's So Heavy, which are really great tracks as well. And then after Here Comes the Sun, you have the song Because. I guess you could say it's the start of the finale on that album. To me, it's very hard for me to listen to Because, because and then not continue the rest of the way through. Uh, because is a track that features the Beatles in harmony. Definitely have a little bit of a Beach Boys thing going on there. And then especially with the next track, which is You Never Give Me Your Money, then you get really into that, the famous Abbey Road medley, as it's often been referred to. Uh, and this hadn't been done on any other Beatles, tra- Beatles albums prior to this, the idea of a medley uh, like this. You have You Never Give Me Your Money, Into the Sun King, Into Mean Mr. Mustard, Into Polythene Pam, Into She Came In Through the Bathroom Window, Golden Slumbers, Carry That Weight, The End. And then there's a track, Her Majesty, at the tail end of the album. But I don't really look at it as part of this medley. Uh, if you haven't heard this before, before you continue listening to this episode, drop everything and go listen to it. Because even now, having heard it a million times, I kind of have to stop what I'm doing and be amazed at what you hear. I don't even really know how to best describe the medley, except to say that it is small songs, really, for the most part, small songs, pieced together to form a cohesive whole featuring a diverse set of musical styles where the songs are each distinct but yet flow together so well. Uh, This is something that Paul would revisit years later on a couple of his solo releases, the idea of a medley. Uh, And when you get to the end of the medley, it concludes with the famous lyric, and in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make, which is a lyric that you can write a high school paper on, quite frankly, or a college thesis about because it's open to, I've always kind of thought about this lyric and what does it mean and so forth. But Dan, before we talk a little bit more about the medley, I I just want you to give your overall thoughts about Abbey Road. And uh, one thing I just want to add before I turn it over to you is that the Beatles had asked George Martin to return to his producing duties, which he agreed to do, but only if, as he said, the Beatles would make an album like they all used to. He wanted to get back away from the tension and go to their traditional way of making music despite tensions that did occur during the making of the album it it does have a unified feel when you're listening even though there was a tremendous amount of individuality on so many of the tracks but dan as a beatles fan when i say the words abbey road to you not talking about the studio but talking about the album what are some things that come to mind so i i've i've said you know that my favorite album is um the white album um because it was the first beatles album that i've ever listen to um, right. the first one that i heard um from front to back abbey road is is probably my second okay even though i think if you want to look as far as an achieve a music a sonic achievement revolver would probably be their best work um i feel like abbey road's a perfect album it it, it really is a, a great a great album from start to, you can listen to it cover to cover easily um easily you, there's no uh, tracks that you skip um, as, as wonderful as revolver is, as pepper is, you know, every now and then I don't feel like listening to within you without you. Yeah. Um, or, or, uh, love you too. And, and I want to skip over, you know, you skip over that track or even like on, on revolver track, like Dr. Robert, sometimes I'm not in a Dr. Robert mood. <laughs> so I want to go. Past it's not that. as accessible a song as you never give me your money, for example. Right. You know, if, if I put on Abbey road, I'm, I'm listening to it from, uh, from from start to finish, right? Um, uh, it's it's an incredible album, and and again, for a band, this is their last album, and there were tensions, definitely tensions at this point. I mean, basically, for all intents and purposes, they they were going through a messy divorce. Right. Um, that's what was happening during the recording of of Abbey Road. Right. And um, I always, you know, you when you listen to. Um, the, the, the long medley, particularly you never give me your money um, and and carry that weight. The lyrics really express that. You never give me your money. You only give me your funny papers. <laughs> um, and, and when I first heard that as, as a, a young adolescent, it's like, oh, what's Paul talking about? You never give me money. You only give me like what funny, funny papers. You think comics, like the funnies (laughs) and stuff like that. Right. But the idea of like, you only give me your contracts and your, your business stuff to sign right in the middle of it all, you know, you break down. 
it's it's a divorce. It's the end of a of a band is a, a band is a marriage. It really is. It's, it's you know you're working with this group of people, and this was the end of it. Paul really, um, I feel, encapsulates that so well in the lyrics. But at the same time, they're all coming together on every track. And even though you know John is not on all of the tracks right. on Abbey Road, there's some that he's missing from. But the cohesiveness of just the musicians on it, um, whoever's playing on the tracks, it, it's you would never know this is a band that's breaking up. Do you feel that Abbey Road is a sad album in a way because of the fact that it's kind of this last hurrah? Um, I feel like it is almost... I don't know if I would say sad or even melancholy, whimsical. Mm-hmm. There's there's a whimsy to it. There's a, it, uh, you know, whimsical is not the, the right word. Uh, um, I think more wistful. Having the sadness of this is ending now. You know, this is, they. I think they all knew at this point, this isn't going to last much longer. Right. But there's this looking back at, look at everything we did. And if we can you know, make something that doesn't so much show where we're at now, but better reflects everything that we've come from yes. and everything we've been through together. Dan, you know, it's very interesting you say that because I think when you look at the songs on Abbey Road, it really does provide a very good summary of different sounds and styles that the Beatles had gravitated to over the course of their career. And I also really like the way you use the word wistful when you listen to Abbey Road, because I think when you have a track like tracks like Because and Golden Slumbers, Golden Slumbers to me is this sort of mesmerizing ballad that just takes my breath away, especially Paul's vocal on there, the way that he sort of can elevate his voice and then bring it back down to a more gentle, gentler sound. But you listen to that and you're right, you realize it's the end. And you listen to the lyrics and you listen to the way the band sounds. And it's kind of like, oh, I wish there was just some more of this. And it's hard Mm -hmm. to believe that it doesn't go past this album, at least in terms of studio releases by the band. We didn't know years later we'd be getting live at the BBC and Beatles Love with Cirque du Soleil. You know, at the time, though, it's uh, and that's the reason I think why you when in the Beatles anthology documentary series, when the various members of the group are talking about the breakup of the band. The song Because is playing in the background. It just has this wistful longing, sort of looking back at the sound of the band, and you want more of it. Uh, particular tracks that I'm just going to highlight, uh, for me, something was always one of my favorite Beatles songs, the George track, track number two. It's certainly one of the greatest love songs ever made, ever written. Beautiful use of strings on a track, Love the lead guitar solo by George, and Paul's bass playing is absolutely perfect. I love Oh Darling, which features another amazing Paul vocal with a throwback to a 50s doo-wop sound, which I really enjoy. Uh, Here Comes the Sun, another one of George Harrison's greatest tracks. Uh, Perfect for this time of year as we head towards spring, although it feels like it's still winter hanging on, trying to push through. But certainly when the weather transitions to warmth, I always love listening to the lyrics. Little darling, I could see the ice slowly melting. Like that's just such a great, great lyric. And the medley, uh, you know, you could you could choose individual tracks from the medley. I love you. Never give me your money. I love golden slumbers. But you kind of have to look to look at it as a cohesive whole. And I love the uh, dueling guitars that sort of round out the end. And then of course you have Ringo's drum solo. It's just uh, it's a great, great album, and it's legendary. Uh, not just in terms of the music that was on the album, but in that famous cover which many people even now try to uh, reproduce on their yeah. London vacations. Yeah. Much to the chagrin good. of London drivers. I have done that on my trip to mm-hmm. London. I've, I've walked across Abbey Road, even though the crosswalk is now in a little bit of a different spot than where the Beatles walked. And those cars don't slow down, so do it, yeah. do it quickly. That's my advice. Yeah. I walked, but I didn't take a picture because I didn't want to make the drivers angrier than they already were. So I was like, I'll just <laughs> I'll walk across. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, but but Abbey Road is certainly a great, uh, great release, and I'm very excited for whatever will come out later this year. Uh, and I, I'm assuming there is going to be a release. Like I said a few minutes ago, it hasn't been officially announced, but we all kind of assume something is going to be done. There's a lot of indications to that effect. Yeah. So, Dan, now that we've talked about Abbey Road, uh, we must turn to the breakup of the Beatles. And... I think when we look at what society views as the main cause of the breakup of the Beatles, 
For those that aren't familiar with the story of the band, they're very quick to blame Yoko Ono. Yoko broke up the Beatles, or and you find that in other uh, band breakups, you know, they'll look to a woman as the cause and say, "Oh, she was that band's Yoko." Mm-hmm. And I think an analysis of why the Beatles broke up does require looking into her frequent attendance at the studio and the tension that it brought to the group. But I, having read a lot about the Beatles and watched many documentaries and listened to interviews, I certainly don't think Yoko's presence was the main cause of the breakup. I think if I had to state what I view as the two main causes of the breakup of the Beatles, one would be tensions just by life circumstances for people who had spent what really in the history of the world is not many years together. We're talking about a relatively short amount of time, but in very unusual circumstances, going back to their early days starting out, cramped quarters with each other constantly. At a certain point, even with people you love and are close to, you're going to want to get out and sort of assert your own independence from that. So I think just the natural course of being together in a tight-knit unit cause tension over time and then also business complications we talked a little bit in this episode about brian epstein's death and i mentioned the name alan klein earlier on for our listeners that aren't familiar with the story john george and ringo wanted a guy named alan klein to come in and manage the beatles klein was uh, manager for the rolling stones if i'm correct right dan that's the uh yeah he had um he had been um manager for the stones Right. He had, um, I think, since been dismissed as manager. Right. From the stone for the Stones under um, not so amicable circumstances, um, and I think there is a you know a story about Mick Jagger actually warning right. um, Paul about Klein. He did not have a good reputation, Klein. He really yeah. did, and Paul wanted Linda McCartney's father and brother, both of whom were attorneys to come in and serve the managerial duties for the Beatles. So you had three against one in terms of who the members of the band wanted to be their manager. This really was not a sustainable situation for the members of the group. Uh, And yeah, also combine that with the fact that George has now developed into a top tier songwriter with tons of material that he wants to get out. Although he's still in a group with Lennon and McCartney. So it's hard to get a lot of tracks on any one album. Uh, and, of course, you have the fact that the Beatles, they weren't getting old because they still were young men, but Paul was now married to Linda, John with Yoko. and It just was sort of inevitable at that point. Uh, in terms of Yoko's presence in the studio, I think it's something that the other members of the group weren't fans of. They certainly didn't like it. But to say that that caused the breakup of the Beatles, I don't think that's uh, an entirely fair thing to say. Uh, Dan, what are you, what are your thoughts on the why this all came to be? I mean, I think uh, as far as the Yoko thing goes, I, I mean, I think Yoko's presence did have uh, you know something to do with it, but not everything. I think sometimes as people, um, we we look for the simplest answer, and we want to you know what's there has to be a reason, like a major thing that happened, and that's why everything end it but um sometimes sometimes it's not most of the time it's not it's a whole bunch of things right and yoko was just a part of it um i think yoko represented john's desire for a long time to not be a beetle anymore not be beetle john right I, i think that wore on him very early and i think he got to a point where he wanted to do other things um and 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 follow under other interests and yoko gave him the excuse to do that and so he was being pulled his own way and paul was very um i you know from, from from what we've read and what we've heard wanting to keep the band together right. he was the one that wanted to hold anything to, everything together because he was worried about life outside of that and um and what that would be like and what he would you know what he would be able to do um, cause you're in it for so long. You're, he was, you know, you're in the band for so long. That's all, you know, can I survive outside of it? Right. And then the, the money stuff on top of it, you know, made it even more difficult. So there were a lot of factors that were in there. Um, I think most people don't realize that the Beatles were a trio, um, from September of 
1969 right. till May of 1970 because John John left the band in September of 69, just after the release of Abbey Road. Right. Um, he'd gone to perform at the uh, Toronto uh, Festival with uh, a, a thrown-together version of the Plastic Ono Band. It was him and uh, Klaus Foreman, right. Eric Clapton, um, and um, uh, Alan White uh, Alan performed. White That's right, yeah. Yep. And um, really under-rehearsed set, but uh, it's fun to watch and hear. Um, it's, uh, it's available on, on DVD, um, the album Live in Toronto. It's captured on, uh, on, on CD um, and vinyl in that format. And that gave John the, the, the courage to say, you know, I can do something on my own. Um, he'd already recorded, I believe, Cold Turkey prior to that um, as a Plastic Ono Band release. Right. But that kind of gave him the, the, the courage. He came back to London and came into uh, Abbey Road Studios and um, in a meeting because there were frequent band meetings at this time, you know, how are we going to deal with our finances? Um, you know, actually said the words to, to the rest of the band, I want a divorce. Right. And what they decided was that John would leave the band, but they wouldn't announce it um, because there were certain deals on the table and things that were still up in the air. I think they had just signed a, um, a contract with a, one of the company's new contract they didn't want Klein particularly didn't want things to go south with this. So he's like, we're going to keep that quiet right. until, um, you know, we have to say anything about it. I feel like at that point, the idea was probably, okay, like let John go and do his thing and then he'll, you know, he'll come back kind of thing. Right. So they were a trio um, until everything came about with the let it be release and all the drama behind that. And, sure. uh, and Paul finally saying, leaving the band and that ending the Beatles, which, led to a lot of animosity between him and John because John felt kind of, um, you know, was taken aback by that because he had left, been out of the band for almost a year yes. at that point. And it's interesting because you're right. John was kind of annoyed because he was the one to first leave the Beatles, but in the public's perception, they looked at Paul as the one that was the first to leave the, right. the Beatles. It just goes to show there's a lot more behind the scenes and news stories that we don't know, <laughs> which mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's kind of like, you know, why do relationships end? Why do marriages end? And uh, there's there could be a whole host of reasons. Sometimes it's just one reason. Sometimes oh. it's significant. But but usually it's a whole slew of factors. And the Beatles and what they had to experience as a band is really not like anything else any other group had to experience then or now. Uh, and I, I just think that the financial implications of that, the musical implications of that led to a non-sustainable situation. But really, when you, it's fascinating just to think about the fact that for all the wonderful music they gave the world, they really were together for a very short period of time. At least, uh, go back, certainly going back to when they first formed back in Liverpool, and especially from the case when they first went into the recording studio with George Martin through to the end of their career. It's under a decade. Mm -hmm. Here we are in 2019. Uh, you know, 2010 just doesn't. It seems far long ago, but it re it really isn't. Uh, so just a, by way of a comparison, Dan, you know. So now we're we're basically at the end of uh, let's call it the first part of our Beatles series, which is a look back at the Beatles' career and their albums. What what did the Beatles mean to you? I mean, just to sort of as a good wrap up discussion in terms of the legacy of the group and their impact on us in, as individuals. I mean, I mean, for you, I I look at you as somebody who's diverse in terms of what you like to listen to. You don't sort of look at yourself as pigeonholed into any one genre. You're open to a wide variety of genres. Uh, you're a musician yourself, having performed and written songs. So what's the impact of the group on your life? I, I don't think I would have um, gotten as into music as I did and you know, really got into playing and writing and gotten an appreciation for, for all the music that I, that I enjoy um, if it wasn't for the Beatles. So uh, to me, I, I listen to a lot of different things and I go through my stages where, you know, have the artist or the band of the moment, but it always comes back to, to the Beatles. Um, so they've had an incredible effect on, on my life. Do you find having been so familiar with the Beatles work, sometimes you like to take a break from it and then return to it to make it sound a little bit fresh again? Or do you ever try that? Or I do. Yeah. There are times where I step away um, for a little bit and um you know listen to other stuff but uh there's always something that brings you back um 
brings brings you back to it. And um, these releases are great because I feel like you get to hear it, um, and uh, you know you get to hear it fresh again. Right. Um, these new these new mixes, and uh, you know I, I loved going through the White Album um, <clears throat> box set and going through all of the CDs and hearing you know that full version of Revolution and other tracks. It's yeah. Um, you know you get to it sparks it just sparks that enthusiasm again and reminds you why you love them do you feel there's any other musical group out there in history that gives the beatles a run for their money in terms of legitimate competition i mean on on what level like Um, like you know when people talk beatles versus stones uh do do you think you know if somebody said to you because we all love led zeppelin too there you know we think very high of them somebody said to you led zeppelin was better than the beatles what would you say led zeppelin's a great band but i i don't think you could say i mean I don't think you can say Led Zeppelin is better than the Beatles. Right. I think Led Zeppelin is an incredible group. Uh, one of the most popular groups in, in, in rock and roll history. I love Zeppelin. Sure. Um, helped define a genre in hard rock and metal, but did not have the effect on, on, on music and popular culture that the Beatles did. So I guess my question, uh, going back to my, my question for you, I guess a better way I can phrase it is, Let's say, even though some of our listeners may disagree, let's say we've reached the conclusion that the Beatles are the greatest band in music history. Is there any band that can come along and say, no, 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 we're the greatest and actually have a legitimate claim to that title? It's what, it's what do you want to judge it on? Yeah. I think if you take the full package, if you look at the innovations that the Beatles brought to, to music and not just performing but recording and writing and how the music business even works, I don't think there's a band that can compete with that. If you want to talk about longevity, the Stones have that. Right. But what's the price for longevity? Right. Um, you look at um, the material that's been put out, and uh, some of it is great, and some of it has been lackluster. Uh, it's it's a hard question to ask. Right. I don't think any any band did more in seven years um, than the Beatles did. That's uh, I think definitely true. I can't even think of. Any group that I mean, you could point to maybe a two to three year period for other groups and say, "Oh, this is really awesome stuff." But seven years, I don't that consistency, quality of consistency. But uh, Dan, what is your favorite Beatles album cover? I mean, the Beatles we haven't really talked as much about this, but in addition to what they contributed to the world musically, uh, they also contributed a lot from an album physical presentation of an album perspective. Each of their album covers have become legendary pieces of art. What is your favorite Beatles album cover? It's, I guess, minimalist to say, you know, but um, with the Beatles. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely love that cover. Yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's just a picture of the four of them, but it's, um, I love it. The black and white, the shadows. It's just uh, probably one of the most artistically done album covers ever yes. to feature a photo of the band. Yeah. And Dan, I guess another, uh, before I turn to my own thoughts on the Beatles and what it means, what they mean to me, uh, I guess another Beatles-related question I'll ask you is, if somebody came to you, as I did many years ago, and said, hey, Dan, I know you're a Beatles fan. I want to get into the group. What is a good starting point? Because I really don't know much other than a couple of their hit singles. Where would you guide that person? I think it's different now than what I gave to you. I think with you, it was... was what, well, you first it? you actually the first thing you showed me was Paul McCartney, all the best, greatest. Was all the best, yeah. Right. So. I, I was on my own when I got uh, Hard Day's Night, but all my best is where. <laughs> right, so I, I got you in through 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 Paul first, which is interesting. Um, I think if I had to give uh, anybody a um, get them started on the Beatles, and they only knew a few singles, where do I start? I think I would, I would give them Abbey Road, right. And they say, you listen to this from, from beginning to end. And it's also interesting, you know, as we're talking about this, one thing that occurred to me is it's interesting having that conversation in 2019 versus like 1995 or whenever mm-hmm. it was that you and I had that discussion. Because for a young person to come to you today and say, hey, I want to get into the Beatles, young people aren't listening to albums like they used to. So maybe mm-hmm. you start with a couple of different singles. But it's an interesting discussion to have as people who are music fans and you know, one of, I, I, for whatever reason, I'm always drawn. That's why I asked you this earlier, like how you listen to music. And I think yeah. that affects how you guide people. You know, for me, I, I echo everything you say. I'm, I'm not a musician. I, I do play piano very casually uh, and I enjoy playing Beatles on piano. But first off, they're my favorite band. And I'm not just looking at them as the Beatles in terms of please, please me through Abbey Road. I'm looking at everything, even the individual members of the group did as sort of under one under one umbrella. So from a musical perspective, I still am amazed now having her tracks over and over again. 
just how beautiful and iconic the songs are. Uh, I, I think the greatest impact the Beatles have had on me, besides from loving their own loving their music, is that the experience I had of becoming a Beatles fan, the idea of getting into a group, learning about them, getting all of their albums. I never had experienced that with any other musical artist before. And that's something that I've enjoyed doing with other artists. The Beatles sort of kickstarted me on that. And in the years since, many of my favorite artists from the Beach Boys to Frank Sinatra, the Stones, Zeppelin, and a handful of others, I've experienced that. Not necessarily at the same level because there are a couple of Beach Boys albums I'm not crazy about couple of Sinatra things I've never gotten into, for example. But uh, even through to today, anybody that listens to Stuff We Love podcast knows that I am a fan of several of the current pop artists, and I don't put them in the same category as the Beatles. But just the idea of following an artist as they develop from album to album is something I really enjoy doing, and the Beatles gave me the first chance to do that. Also, you know, for me, the Beatles have strengthened friendships and led to continuations of friendships. I mean, just look at you and me. I mean, we go back years and decades Mm -hmm. and we would be friends even if we hadn't listened to the Beatles. But it is a bond that I share with you. Tremendous bond. And it's a bond that I share with several of my friends. You know, we always can. If there's not much going on and we want to talk about something, we could talk about the Beatles and speak for hours about it, really. Yeah. And never get bored. Never get bored talking about the Beatles. Also, just even now, years after the band broke up and after two of the members have have left this earth, the music they left behind for John and George and the music that Paul still makes, and even Ringo, I enjoy some of the solo stuff he's still making. They're still continuing to give me enjoyment uh, with the music they make. And it's interesting because I saw an interview a couple weeks ago with Taylor Swift on Time Magazine, Time Magazine's website, and she was talking about three things that are influencing her. And she talked about Paul McCartney. And she said how much of a fan she is of his music. And I think that's amazing that here we are in 2019 when CDs are on the way out and CDs weren't even around in the Beatles days. So much has changed politically and technology wise. And yet even for the most popular artists of the newer generation, the Beatles are still having a major impact. That's something I don't think they even could have anticipated at the height of their popularity back in the 60s. It's one of the key areas of interest in my life. That's uh, that's what it's about. And I'll conclude this by talking about something that I've always found to be very cool. And I know you do, too, because you're a Disney fan as well. And this combines for me two of my great interests, Beatles and Disney. When you go to Epcot over at Walt Disney World and you're in the United Kingdom Pavilion at World Showcase, uh, I love seeing the Beatles stuff they sell there, the T-shirts, lunchboxes, and so forth. Uh, That's just something I think is very cool and a testament to their legacy, which is really great. So, my friend, are you ready to have the Stuff We Love segment? I am. I'm ready for the stuff we love segment. So, so this is the part of the show uh, for those of us, for those of you that are tuning in for the first time, where the hosts will talk about something they're enjoying right now, basically giving a recommendation. Uh, Dan, who's going first tonight? Is it me or you? Um, I think it's me. Go ahead, my friend. I, um, well, uh, another thing that uh, I I'm a big fan of and I love is uh, is comedy, um, you know, especially stand up comedy. And, um, recently, uh, you know, every now and then you drive, you know, when you're driving in the car, you don't want to jam out to, to, to music, just want to kind of have something to listen to. Sure. Um, so I've been listening to, uh, a lot of, uh, George Carlin oh. recently and, um, uh, revisiting, um, a lot of his material. Always been a big Carlin fan. He has, uh, a lot of, so many years of material, you know, he started out as kind of a, uh, you know, buttoned up, uh, you know, pretty straight laced comedian in the late fifties, early sixties, and then, you know, became a counterculture comedian in the seventies, um, really kind of challenging, um, social norms and, um, and, and speaking out about, you know, everything from, um, religion to the government, um, and politics. And, um, he has, uh, he's just brilliant, brilliant stuff. Yeah. And um, I have to say, really, really miss him now. I wish he was still around. Yeah. Because I, uh, I, I would love to hear what he uh, would be saying. Yeah, he would um, be great nowadays to hear. He'd be great the, nowadays. And how are you listening yeah. to him? Is it on CD, streaming? What's the way? You um, I'm streaming uh, right now. I basically, uh, when I had all the, uh, the CDs, um, I burned them all. 
you know, to, to iTunes. And so I have it on my phone and it's been listening to, uh, to the various albums, just some great stuff, great observational comedy too. You know, yeah. uh, he would have been an incredible, uh, as a teacher, he would have been an incredible English teacher when he talks about the English language and, you know, how we use words and stuff like that is, is great. Yeah. That's a great recommendation, Dan. That's awesome. Uh, from my stuff we love this week, I'm going to be talking about a book I'm currently reading by an author named Ken Womack, who's a Beatles scholar. Uh, the book is called Maximum Volume, The Life of Beatles Producer George Martin. It's basically part one of what is a two-part biography of George Martin. Uh, I'm about halfway through this book, a little more than halfway through, uh, and I really enjoy it. It's basically given me an opportunity to learn about George Martin, who I've certainly re read about a lot before, but who I didn't really have a... a, a more complete understanding of, and he really was a fascinating figure uh, in Beatles history. Some people call him the fifth Beatle. I think that really is something that could very well be a correct designation. Uh, of course, his son Giles is active now in producing the reissues of things like the White Album we were talking about earlier, and will presumably be involved with Abbey Road. He was also involved with Sgt. Pepper. Uh, but George Martin led a fascinating life from his military service through to his uh, producing uh, people that were not in the music field, but in the comedy field. Speaking of comedy, the beyond the fringe artists like Dudley Moore and uh, Peter Cook. He worked with Peter Sellers. And just how he was able to go at the Parlophone label from producing the non-musical acts to producing the Beatles and a whole host of other musical acts and becoming very successful. So, so that is my Stuff We Love recommendation. And on the uh, Stuff We Love podcast website, on, their, on our products page, I'm going to link to a couple of George Carlin things, and I'll link to that book as well. So, wonderful stuff. Uh, to conclude the episode, let me first off thank you all for tuning into this episode. Uh, and thank you all for listening to this Beatles series in particular. Dan and I are going to be coming back to you soon with some solo Beatles discussion, which we're really looking forward to. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Stuff We Love Pod, on Instagram at Stuff We Love Podcast. We have a Facebook page where we're posting content. Please like us on there. Our website is www.stuffwelovepodcast.com. That's where you can learn about the hosts, learn about uh, the products that we're recommending, get links to the various podcast episodes. We're very happy to see the heavy traffic on the website. Our visitors are at an all-time high and are visiting from all over the world, which we really do appreciate. We also have a blog on the website. And from what I understand, based on a conversation with my co-host Jack earlier tonight, uh, he's writing a Game of Thrones blog entry. So for those of you that watch that show, be on the lookout for that. Uh, and please write to us at StuffWeLovePodcast at gmail.com. Tell us what your favorite Beatles albums and songs are. And leave us those great five-star reviews on iTunes, which make it easier uh, to for others to find the show. And don't forget to visit our sponsor, www.autoslash.com. And by the way, if you're using them to rent your car, feel free to let them know that you heard about them through the Stuff We Love podcast. So thanks again for tuning in and for listening. I am Scott. And I'm Dan. And you've been listening to the Stuff We Love podcast.